Welcome to another episode of The Unapologists. Today, we have the demigod, and I mean that in a Dungeons <laughs> Dragons kind of way, Christopher Polson, and his humble servant, Vito McKenzie, on this end. Oh, yeah, humble servant. Humble the, the brains, okay, the brains. Maybe, the maybe just servant. But today, we are joined by a very special guest. We have Brooke McMillan with us to talk about food, education, and community building. And we're really excited to have you here. Brooke, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Thanks for having me. Chris, did you want to kind of give some background to Brooke or did you? Want I to- absolutely did. I was thinking about this kind of, uh, actually, since since Brooke agreed to be on the show, I was thinking about uh, when I met Brooke. And I think at this point in the game, I have known her for eight years. Yeah. I think eight years is the number. And um, so to give a little bit of insight into kind of what Brooke has, has done before letting her take the stage. Um, I had always had this kind of like uh, vision in my mind of kind of like what foods classes were. And when I first taken the position uh, that I have at my school, um, everything was kind of like in line with that. Uh, And then Brooke came in and uh, it's a different world. It's a different world. It's not just cooking. Uh, and, And no, seriously though, I, you know, I took hospitality when I was in high school and I made popovers and sandwiches and it was great. Um, but that's kind of like where the, that, that was the line. Um, and I just got to say, Brooke does, uh, so much. Um, Sounds she's like one she of those for that you, script on hospitality. That's amazing. Well, that's it. It's a, it's a, it's a flip the script type of situation. So I was really happy when she agreed to come on the show. Um, and so she is here. She is a Fort McMurray born and raised teacher. Um, and she just does absolutely great work both in the foods room and outside of it, but we're going to let her take that away. Um, so Brooke, can you kind of tell us your story about, um, so first of all, like how the teaching bug got you, but then, I mean, you're in a really specific type of, you know, area of teaching, um, you know, we've talked to people who are religion teachers. We've talked to people who are elementary specialists, who are doing high school, social studies, French, this, that, the other thing. But, you know, I have never met somebody who is like a food specialist like you. So could you kind of give us both sides of that coin, both the teaching component, but also the food component? And then I really want to jump into kind of uh, your mindset around food and the, and the wonderful things that can be done uh beyond the plate as it were yeah yeah for sure um okay so I guess since I was little I've always loved food and I come from like a food family where you know homemade family meals every night like everything was always fresh you know my grandma's always had gardens my my mom, my grandparents, my aunts, everyone was gathered in the kitchen. And I learned a lot of just basic cooking skills by being around that and, and like a love of food, just connecting it to family and to memories and to celebrations and things like that. So I had a really like fortunate upbringing in terms of just already starting off with food education and cooking skills just from childhood. And I always wanted to be a teacher. Like I it's like the biggest cliche of just like, Oh yeah. Like I grew up and I knew this is what I wanted to do. 
but I never knew that you could be a foods teacher. So I always thought I was just going to be like a classroom teacher and went to university and was planning to be an English teacher. And then when I got in there, I was like, everyone's really enjoying these English classes and I'm having zero fun. (laughs) So that was kind of when I was like, I think I need to reevaluate things a little bit. Um, So I was majoring in English at the time and minoring in human ecology, which is kind of like the modern home economics sort of field. Um, And so in Alberta, like it's kind of different province to province, how they structure like that kind of a program and whether it's focused on trades or whether it's more focused on home ec. But what I was minoring in was essentially like food studies. So I switched and decided to make that my specialty. So because all those classes were the ones that I was like, couldn't wait to go to, like was so interested in, so passionate, like that just made me come alive. And like food just, you know, I could talk about it forever. It just makes me light up. So I'm like, okay, this is what I should be teaching. This is what I need to build my career around. And I realized you could, like, I had no idea that you could go to school to be the foods teacher. I thought it was just like the position you get when like you're the one with the open slot in your schedule and they're like, uh, you probably can make like mac and cheese. So you teach the class. And I cannot, I'm the guy who put styrofoam in the oven one time. So let's, <laughs> Yeah, so I actually like, you know, university for that and specialized in foods. And in my kind of cohort was, you know, I was taking classes with the nutritionist and the people going to like register dietitian. Okay, so I was going to jump in and ask you about that. How is the food studies course different from a nutritionist uh, background or I guess the nutritionist background because dietitians have nutrition background that they have to then qualify for or do a internship for to get that qualification. so what's the difference between the two um so it's kind of so I guess kind of where my decision making was was I could either you know do education or I could go to culinary school and you know take it to your program to you know then go on to be a journeyman maybe get my red seal like trade school or I could become like a registered dietitian where your sole focus is nutrition. You have to do your, you know, dietetic internship, and then you may be in a more of a clinical environment, or you may be working one-on-one with people. So when I was like thinking about all these options, I have no desire to be in the food industry. Um, I think it's a very, you know, amazing industry, but also like a very specific type of person <laughs> and lifestyle. Um, absolutely the the type of people who have the time and and the schedule yeah yeah like it's a it's a lifestyle commitment and and I just knew that wasn't for me and that wasn't where my passion was was to make like gourmet food or work in a restaurant my passion is teaching so but teaching with a focus in food so the program that I got to do kind of blended every possible facet of food because it's coming from a human ecology framework. So it wasn't just kind of piecing out food as what we're eating and, you know, enjoying as a culinary experience. It wasn't just food from a nutrition standpoint. It was how does food affect us on all of our levels, like culturally. So I got to take like food and culture and food and sociology. I got to take agriculture classes and economics classes and kind of learn about the food system from like every single level. And 
then now that allows me to bring all those different levels into my classroom when I teach. So I'm not just teaching like this is nutrition and this is what all these foods are breaking into. I'm not just teaching like this is how to make a hollandaise sauce. Like, yeah, I teach that, but I also teach, you know, this is what your farmer is doing or, you know, this is um, what fair trade food is and what it means or this is kind of what food security and food insecurity is, right? Because I have a background in kind of all these different areas, I guess you could say. Okay. So that's, that's pretty outstanding because you, you look at it from the cultural perspective then what you're <laughs> saying. So it's all those facets put together. So like you, you grew up, you said with a family, with a love of food and your grandmother had gardens and you, you probably knew who your butcher was and where the cuts of meat were coming from. Um, Right. So you had a, like a very good sense of what food is about. Do you, in your course of study, what did you notice? Was there any trends happening for today where is that lost? Are we losing that? Are we coming back to that? What, what has been going on with food today that um, all these, you know, I guess my big question is culturally, we always point to people have lost the kitchen table for dinner at night yeah. and We've also been eating more unhealthy. Do they tackle that at all? Like kind of where that's coming from? Um, yeah. So I guess like in, in that program, um, you know, that is a topic. And then also just in my own, like outside of formal schooling, I always try to kind of take, you know, what community classes are being offered or, you know, what's the multicultural association offering and, kind of getting a sense of like what's going on at a community level. And I also did after my like university degree, I did further education in culinary nutrition, which was its own program. So I kind of heightened my knowledge and awareness of nutrition, but also making it practical. So again, not, not the same sense as a registered dietitian would, where they may be working more clinically or, you know, being like having a very specific focus on just nutrition, culinary nutrition. Um, that program was more how to take, you know, all this nutrition knowledge and like physiology and all of that kind of, you know, science <laughs> lingo and break it down into like going into the kitchen and being able to make a meal that's, you know, nutritionally um, healthy for you, good for you, but is going to taste delicious and how to make, you know, cooking skills accessible. Um, because it is something that, you know, I had a really like idyllic childhood, um, but not everybody has families that eat together every night. Not everybody's learning cooking skills at home from their parents um, or their family members, right? So traditionally, that's kind of where we would have learned and picked up our, our cooking skills or been making more food at home from scratch. Um, but now we're the way that we live, the way that we work, the way that we structure our families and our communities, less and less people are, you know, eating regularly together at home. And I know that because I ask my students and I sit, I ask them like, you know, how many of you sit down to family dinner every night? Where are you eating your meals? What are you eating? Um, what's, what types of foods do you have at your celebrations or what types of memories do you have associated with food? Because Again, like my own upbringing and my own raising was like a lovely like scene in terms of food and my relationship to food. And but I don't want to let that cloud what everyone's experience was because 
then I can be like, okay, wow, these are some gaps that we can then work to fill. And for some of my students, the you know, their family meal is sitting with their group around a table after they've cooked something and eating um, and sharing that together because when they go home, they're eating in their bedroom, right? Or they're eating out. So it's it's kind of like building those those skills of like eating around a table and it being communal and a shared experience um, that are not necessarily now being done at home. I, I think you really hit on something that I think is really important. And it's it's a thread that we just keep on pulling um throughout the throughout the podcast. And 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 you said relationship with food. And I think that's such a, a, a crucial thing. Um because when you think about the moments of your life that are big moments, like they're always food associated. Yeah. You know? When you think of the wedding, you think of the wedding cake, you know, when you think of, uh, you know, when you think of, you know, if I've, uh, you know, if I've got my wife angry at me, I take her out for a nice meal and and it connects a relationship. And you, you said like, you know, cultivating a good relationship with food is so important. And I really like that you said like, okay, there's the science about it. But there's also the going into the kitchen. And even though you may ha- not have the language of the science and the nutrition and stuff, being able to have a positive relationship with good food, I, I think that's a, a really important thing inside and outside of school. Absolutely. Yeah, I I agree. And so I think sometimes we oversimplify food to just being like the nuts and bolts of nutrition and just break it down into like a black and white thing where it's like, these are good foods. These are bad foods. This is a healthy diet. How many macronutrients? Like, yeah. So I was just say yeah. count your macros. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, and, and for most people, that's, that's the main conversation around food is like whatever the trending diet is or, you know, and it stops or, being food and it starts being fuel. Exactly. Right. And, and that's kind of the language that we use around food is like, you know, as fuel, as calories in calories out. And, when I teach nutrition in my classes, that's the first thing that I literally address. And I say, food isn't fuel because we're not cars. We don't only need one type of fuel. We don't, you know, empty our tank and then just need to fill it up again with the same thing on like a schedule, right? Like it, it's like such a disservice to the human body for one, because we're way more complex and unique than that, but also to the, the many roles that foods play in our lives. So it's not just the nutrition. It's so much more, right? We have so many memories that have nothing to do with like, well, you know, how many grams of protein was in that birthday cake? No, you remember that you have that picture of you blowing out the candles and like, what was your wish that year? Or, you know, who was around you celebrating? And and that is just as significant and just as important as whatever nutrients was in the meal. And from a religion teacher's perspective, and I think, Chris, we talked about this before, food is such an important role in religion because every single religious holiday has food associated with it. And the ones that stand out stand out because they don't have food associated with it. Those are fasting days. So you talked about being in the community. And I think, you know, with a religion teacher, especially someone who does world religions, you better be bringing food into your classroom because it's part of every ritual. It's that community building thing. And the lesson I say is the reason why from a religious perspective, you always have food and a table is because you don't break bread with an enemy. 
Mm. You don't sit down and break bread with people you hate. You could, but you don't. <laughs> <laughs> that guy that I hate, come on over. I want to buy you a sandwich. <laughs> you know, what's funny in foods class, it kind of gets like a, an eclectic mix of students that may never otherwise talk to one another. Maybe in total opposite social groups, but they get put in a group together and have to cook together. And they then like this friendship forms, whether it's just in foods class or maybe it goes out into the hallways, but it's like the most unlikeliest of friendships happen because they're cooking something together and they're sharing food together. So, so let's jump. Know? Let's jump into that then. So how, how 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 do you work that in your classroom then? So they're coming in day one. Uh, welcome to hospitality. How do you build that community around food? Um, where, they're, where, they're, where they're sitting down together, people who are like just would never associate with each other are now sitting down to break bread, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. Well, I think the bread and make bread. <laughs> yeah, literally making bread and then breaking it. Um, the main thing is we cook as much as possible and as often as possible because even if you don't have anything that you can relate about outside. Uh-oh. Did we all freeze? No, we're good. We're oh, good. okay. Sorry. We're still here. We're still here. <laughs> My screen just froze. So I don't know. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. I'll edit that out. <laughs> um, so I was saying, even if you come in and you have absolutely nothing that you can relate to anybody about, nothing to talk about, nothing in common, and even as a teacher, like, you know, I'm getting less relatable. <laughs> I, hate, I hate to interject, but that's got to be um, when you see the, the the diverse groups that are coming in from different groups around the school, from different backgrounds and interests. That's got to be like a heavy moment for you to figure out how I'm how I'm gonna how am I gonna make this work? Anyway, <laughs> jump back into we'll come back to that, but jump back into that building community. Uh, through the foods class for sure um yeah so I think it's just it comes down to the food right that's a common language a common ground for everyone to start with no matter who you are like whether you're in foods class or not it's something that we can always connect over like if you have absolutely nothing else in common you all have experience eating right? <laughs> 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 like you all have memories associated with food we all have preferences. We all have, you know, maybe traditional foods that our families may eat or, or significant foods for our backgrounds. So that's where we can start. And then we can kind of see, oh, well, we have similarities maybe that we didn't realize were there. Or, you know, like the differences just kind of get less and less spacious as we start talking about food. And then as we start working together as a team, right? So the kitchen is a team, whether you're cooking in culinary arts class in school or whether you're in a restaurant kitchen, whether you're at home with your family, like it's a, it's a team environment. So we have to learn how to work together and communicate. And I like to not just kind of build that sense of community in the class. Um, I like to make sure that we're impacting a sense of community within the school as well. So as much as I can, I try to involve my classes in things beyond our class. So whether that's, you know, every year we'll do the SPCA cupcake bake sale where we'll bake a bunch of, you know, items for their bake sale and donate it. Whether it's um, making 
food to have leftovers for emergency lunch for students that don't have a meal. So then we can have homemade lunches in the freezers for whenever a student doesn't have a lunch. Whether it's having our breakfast program being fully catered by my grade seven, eight, and nine classes. Um, so they can see the impact of what they're doing and how that's actually impacting their community. So, you know, as adults, we get to say like, oh yeah, I volunteer here. I'm part of this humanitarian cause, or, you know, this is how I do my service in my community. But sometimes for youth, it's hard to make those connections and it's hard to, you know, find those opportunities and maybe find something that they're really interested in. So giving them a chance to actually see the impact of what they're doing by seeing like, oh, wow, I just saw, you know, my classmate with that muffin from breakfast program. And I made that yesterday, right? It's tangible. That, right? Like that's tangible and they can see the impact of, of that within their community and, and see that in their school, right? So it's not just about building community in the class. It's also giving them that chance to serve others and, and make that just a part of how, how we relate to one another in our school. So I, I'm guessing with all the building you're doing, because this is phenomenal that you get to go out and be part of the school community. Do you get a lot of requests saying, hey, Miss McMillan, do you think your classes can, you know, <laughs> cater this next event? We got like a retreat going on and I need like 700 meals. Can you make that happen? Oh, yeah, all the time. And I like, I don't mind it because that's also a really cool experience for my students to have as well. Like we do a lot of catering. We do a lot of like, um, we've done like catered the, a Christmas dinner for the board. We've catered like massive two, 300 people sports banquets. We've, you know, done a caf- cafe in the school where like every morning we would deliver coffee and like homemade bagels and banana bread and stuff to teachers. They could like do a mobile order. And it was like, you, your order would be delivered to you by a student who just made your coffee. And we raised money for like environmentally, um, friendly initiatives in our school. So, and, and a lot of this is like, these students have no catering experience, no restaurants, like they're teenagers. And I'm like, Hey, we're just going to do this and hope you accept this challenge. Cause we're going to figure this out and we're going to do it. And it's going to be great. And usually it is, <laughs> it's usually, it's like a lot of stress, but it's also like at the end, they're so proud. And so like, excited and that's honestly like you know like like when you it's that whole mentality of like getting through something really difficult together with people brings you together like you know even like a sports team like you think of the iconic like sports movies where the team faces all this hardship and just battles through it and at the end they're like victorious catering is the same thing (laughs) you're like battling to the nail you're up so late you're so tired you've washed so many dishes but then at the end you're like oh the satisfaction is over we did this and that's forever too though right like that's something that these young people they 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 hold on to that forever yeah yeah absolutely and yeah it's like it's they're so proud because it's like you never would have thought you would be doing something like that or it's like I had zero skill walking in this and maybe you you're not walking out like a professional chef but it's it's a chance for like maybe the students that don't always have academic success or may not have you know great relationships with other teachers or other students but through that like practice of cooking and serving and 
you know, giving that to someone else and offering that to someone else, then that instantly is a relationship formed right there. So elaborate on that. Like what doors have you seen students open as a result of being part of your classroom and, and diving into food? Um, I think just confidence wise, I see a lot of students come in really timid or really unsure of themselves and um, kind of unsure of socially who they are or being very reserved. And also a lot of students so terrified of failure, so terrified to mess up and do something wrong and so terrified to like try anything new. So that's like a really interesting Thing to work with in my class because so much of learning how to cook is failing <laughs> and totally like messing up and having a disaster. So I'm like, I try to encourage it. I try to let them fail and try to not make it a big thing. And instead of like being like, oh my God, what a waste of food or oh my, like that was such a waste of a class. It's like, wow, cool. So what did you learn? Like, that was interesting and hilarious. What did we learn from that? <laughs> and a lot of the times it's also me failing alongside them being like, well, that's why we don't get recipes off the first Google search. Like, <laughs> uh, years ago, you told me if I was going to go on all recipes, I had to read the comments first. Yes. Always, <laughs> always read the comments. I've had to like, ban all recipes from the <laughs> recipe suggestion. <laughs> Why? What, 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 what do you run into with all recipes? Um, or, or really not just all recipes, but any kind of like forum online that anyone can post. Yeah. 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 Cause mo yeah go. Sometimes it, it's just, yeah, not the most curated content. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> that was the nicest way you could have said that ever. <laughs> Because yeah, normally if I go onto someone's site for a recipe, it's like I got to get through like 400 words of here's the background of where this recipe came from. And back in the day when I was uh, doing this, it's like, okay, just give me the damn recipe. Yeah, I, yeah. But again, like, see, even just the fact that like to get a recipe, you have to go through all that human history and connection to it is like, yeah, this clearly means a lot to someone. Even if you're like, just give me the recipe already. It's like, yeah, this is how strongly that people feel about their food and how much is like riding on that one dish. Like it could just be whatever to you, but it could be so significant to someone else, which is, you know, another reason why I like to bring whatever my students' backgrounds are, you know, bringing that to class. So something I like to do is like, what's your family recipe? Or, you know, if you don't have one, like what's a significant food that you had like as a childhood memory, like your favorite snack. It doesn't need to be like my grandma's like, you know, this magical dish. It could literally be like, well, I always had cheese and crackers after school as a kid. Like it can be so basic as that, but it's, it's again, like everybody has this like memory. Everyone has this connection and what are they and how can we celebrate them? Because it's something we all have in common. So bringing whatever your background of food is, bringing that into the classroom and then getting to know each other based on that a little bit better. Well, I think you would probably uh, get to know each other on, on a bit deeper of a level too. Um, you know, your normal icebreakers. My name is Chris and I like cats because my name starts with C and so does cats. That's really service level. But if I have to come in and tell you 
why my favorite sandwich is my favorite sandwich. You're, you're learning about my history. You're learning about something really important to me. Is that something that you find um, that when we, uh, when we tie the self to the food, do you find that it helps students to open up quicker? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like quicker and without necessarily it being as vulnerable, I think, because it's not like, tell me your like childhood story from, you know, what's your whole life been leading up to this point and what's your purpose? It's, it's, you know, doing it in a way where it's like, I can find out so much about a person like that, that quote, like, tell me what you eat and I'll tell you who you are. That's, you know, really we get to know so much about someone just by what they eat, you know, who they eat it with, what that, what the symbolism is behind their food or significance behind certain foods for them. You can learn so much about a person just by, just by that. And, and so much about kind of how they are going to then relate to other people or relate to their own selves or show up in your classroom. Like, you know, did you eat breakfast this morning? That's a, that's something that, you know, is super impactful, whether you teach foods or not. Right. So it is kind of like that. It's a common ground, right? We all start off no matter who we are, like we've eaten and we have to eat. So it, it is that basic level of connection that we all can share. So it's not as intimidating to talk about it's really easy to talk about because we're already confident because it's something we have experience in, right? If you go into a class where you're like, oh, I like believing, oh, I'm so bad at math. Nothing in this class is going to work out for me. Or, you know, like I have no interest in reading. So English, that's a write-off. Or, you know, whatever, whatever story it is about the class. Or I'm not, I hate sports, so at gym class this year, ugh, I wish I could just, you know, skip it. With foods, like everyone assumes like, oh, well, they just want to eat. So that's why they love taking your class. They just want to, you know, a free lunch or a free snack. And I'm like, well, yeah, like that's a great perk. But I also think it's because, yeah, you can come in and it's like, I already know something about this subject and I, I have something I can contribute already. <laughs> so it, it, I, what I love is that everything you're doing is what I call it, like a, a non-artificial construct. Cause we have these artificial constructs in the classroom where it's like, like Chris said, tell me your name and your favorite animal, right. As an icebreaker. That, that's a very artificial construct. Mm -hmm. um, e even the idea of what you said before, like they're going to fail. I'm going to let them do it. What'd you learn? Like we talk about that as a quote unquote growth mindset. And we have these very artificial ways of pushing that. And I think to the point where it's so diluted that even Carol Dweck's like, you got to stop doing that. <laughs> but you do it in a very natural, encouraging way. Like, I, I love that, that it's just so natural and naturally flowing. Mm -hmm. And food really allows that, right? Like, I, I think I would struggle if I had to teach anything else. <laughs> because, <laughs> like, my brain is just so used to thinking in this way but like because of what I teach and I'm and I, I'm passionate about it as well so I'm, I know that is a it helps but I just think like if I had to teach any other class I'd be like so how can I bring food into this class like how can I relate this to a food topic or you know growing something or what are the connections that we can make because this is the language I know how to speak and, and that's very interesting too because um th those connections are there Oh yeah. You know, those connections are there. I don't think there's any subject that you couldn't connect with food. 
Um, I'm really lucky. I I've known you for so long and I just wanted to, to kind of share a story about you, if I may. Um, when, when, when Brooke is talking about these, uh, these failure moments, it's funny because like, I remember, and I learned from this particular student's failure, they were making something with steak and it didn't turn out well. And the student just didn't know what, what had gone wrong. And then they figured out that they put the steak in a cold pan and the pan had to be heated up already because it didn't sear the steak. And I'm thinking like Brooke allowed that student to have that failure. That student had to sit there and then kind of like literally eat it and figure out why didn't this work. And I'm the guy over here trying to get a cookie from the foods lab and I'm learning from it. So it, it's such a real process. It's such a, it's such a real uh, experience of learning. And I think that, that, that not afraid of failure because you're going to fail in the kitchen. Um, that's something that can prepare you for life. Right. You know, that kind of look back and say, you know, the, the steak didn't sear because the pan wasn't hot. Like that's a, that's, that's more than just a food lesson. That's a life lesson. Yeah. Like, don't put styrofoam in the oven. <laughs> don't, don't put the styrofoam in the oven. Vito, <laughs> like, when you make the oven pizza, you got to take it out of the box. Uh, it was warming up chicken wings. Let me tell you, my <laughs> finest moment right there. My wife was so proud. Oh, no. <laughs> and like, yeah, sometimes the failure to learn thing is like, if it's a hazard, I'm like, oh, let's not let them learn. <laughs> like, okay, here's the women's training and here's the fire extinguisher training. <laughs> now let's jump into the kitchens. <laughs> yeah. now, but like, go ahead. Sorry. sorry just, just like on a, yeah, safety note and like thinking about all the hazards there, you know, there was a fire once in <laughs> in a pan, but you know it was just a very small grease fire that started. But <laughs> it was but just a small fire. <laughs> the kids were like, or the students were just standing there and like, oh my gosh, miss, 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 like starting to freak out because it was starting to smoke. Like it hadn't lit yet, but instead of like jumping in and being like, well, this is what we need to do, I'm like, what are we gonna do? Like stood in the middle of the class and was like. <laughs> What do we do, everybody? Like, who said that? Like, what are we going to do? This pan is about to burst in flames. What are we going to... And it's like, everyone knew what to do. <laughs> so, and if they didn't, then of course, like, yeah, I'm going to intervene. But yeah, it's just literally like the most ultimate, like terrifying moment of failure. It has to be like, okay, we can use this. And then we can not you know, shame whoever it was that failed after. Cause that's, you know, the other road that can take after the crisis is done. Be like, I can't believe you did that. Da, da, da. But no, it's like, okay, so that was kind of scary. This is why we need to be super cautious. But what did we all learn from that? Like, what can we take away from this moment as a learning that we can never repeat this again, but that's going to stay with them forever. Now they're never going <laughs> to leave their <laughs> Their host is not going to burn down in a kitchen fire. They, they, they know this now. So what what should I be careful of as an educator when I'm speaking about food to students? Because food is universal. We all talk about it. You've been through this class and the students so much. When teachers or just people and adults in general talk about young people about food, what do you think are some danger zones? Like, don't don't do that. Okay, so this is another topic that I love <laughs> um, because I am a super passionate nutrition educator, but 
Um, I think in a way that people are not necessarily as familiar with in mainstream media or mainstream culture, because um, I don't believe in any form of dieting, uh, whether it's, you know, fad diets or whether it's like, a, you know, calorie restriction diet or, you know, I really, really um, caution so strongly against framing nutrition and, and learning about healthy eating and nutritious foods as making really strict food rules and turning into the food police as an adult, either teaching nutrition or as a parent or uh, as a teacher, kind of using nutrition to make instill fear <laughs> about foods into students. So a lot of the times I'll see um, people teaching concepts like calories in and then trying to find a number of calories to burn off food or like, you know, calories in, calories out type of language or making a list of like good foods and bad foods um, and, and, you know, kind of turning food into something that we need to conquer and control and using like, you know, nutrition education as something that isn't really celebrating what food can do for our bodies and what our bodies can naturally do to process foods. Um, it just kind of creates a really fearful mentality around food, which working with youth, they are a very vulnerable population for eating disorders. And I'm a very strong advocate for mental health and for also eating disorder prevention and awareness. So I think it's really important the way that we speak about foods and the language that we use about foods is very free and teaching students that all foods fit in a healthy diet, not creating food rules where foods are good and bad or feeling shameful or guilty um, when we associate, you know, our eating habits and just really, truly, you know, believing that all foods do fit and that we have permission to eat all foods. Some foods are going to be you know, nutritious foods that are going to provide our body with those essential nutrients we need to be healthy physically, but then other foods are fun foods. And we can equally eat both and we don't need to feel good or bad for either one because those fun foods are playing into all those other roles that food plays into our lives, which is, you know, our memories, our celebrations, our, you know, cultural moments of, you know, whether it's, um, a wedding or a birthday or, you know, a religious holiday or a feast of some kind, right? It's playing into all those other things that, yeah, it's okay if food isn't always just nutrients for your body to survive because we know we're not just eating for survival um, physically, right? Food has so much more to it. So when we just kind of break out that one part and isolate like the physical health component of food, that a lot of the time sacrifices the mental health component of food and, and our emotional and social and cultural health that food impacts as well. Wow. Okay. You really hit that <laughs> one. Thank you. Uh, well, no, I'm no, thinking I, how many times, uh, you know, are you sure you want to eat that? You know, you've, 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 you've you know, you had a, you had a, a bowl of ice cream yesterday. Are you sure you want to have that? You know, uh, you know, how often is that, you know, part of like the conversation around food? So I really like what you're saying, but um, you know, stop thinking about it as something you have to conquer because it's not. Mm -hmm. It's just it's it's control, yeah. Yeah, and psychologically, kind of what, what we do is when we control something and restrict something, well, then that leads us to feel like we don't have our own autonomy over our choices or over, you know, 
our, our decisions with that thing, whatever it is. So then that leads us to want to binge and to kind of have a scarcity mentality where we're like, Ooh, I'm not allowed to have this. But then the moment that I'm allowed, I'm just going to get as much as I can because I don't know when I'm going to get it again. And like, that's a real like psychological thing that will happen. And, and when we see it happen with food, that that's when we have that kind of harmful cycle and harmful relationship with food. And uh, I was reading, uh, I can't remember the article, but there, um, there was, there was actually statistical proof that, you know, people who say things like, oh, I can't eat that versus I don't want to eat that right now, you know, are more likely to, um, you know, stick to a healthier lifestyle because it's, it's not that conquer and control. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's like actually tuning into what your body needs at that moment and what you feel and, and realizing like sometimes I, I feel like diets or diet culture really say like, you should never eat your feelings or you should never emotionally eat. Well, I think <laughs> Hey, like, you know, we do eat for comfort because we're not just eating everything based on like nutritional value. Like we like the taste of certain things and we like, you know, going out to have a, a celebratory meal or eat for enjoyment and pleasure. And that's okay too. Um, it's like, well, if food is our only coping mechanism, then maybe that's, you know, something that we can look into a bit more and develop other, other, you know, coping strategies, but it's also okay to, to, have a crappy day and then just want something to feel comforting. And that can be like a self-care thing as well. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's not having such hard and fast rules about, about food just being for nutrition. It's realizing all those other components that food plays as well, because that is a total picture of health, right? We're not just, you know, a car. Like I said, we don't just need that fuel to, you know, survive through the day. Like we need so many other elements in our health to be a healthy whole human being and i i think as well you have to look at any new of these fad diets with a really critical lens too so my, my wife does have a nutrition background and her, her good friend that she went to school with did go the dietitian route and we went to visit her in halifax and one of these like doc, vegan documentaries came out like just yeah. complete like this is serious. I can't remember which one it was. And what it was interesting, every time one of these comes out on Netflix, she sits down with a pad of paper and starts to go through the documentary to actually look at the credentials of the people talking and be like, yeah. no, no, that's not real. <laughs> like, that's not a thing. And she'll sit there because her students are going to come to her saying, did you hear about this documentary that they're talking about how awful this is? And she's like, no, no, it's, 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 it's fine. Like, so the, one of the most powerful things she said to me, she goes like, fad diets are dumb. She goes, the one thing they all have in common, which is why people always say they work, is they eliminate processed food. That's the one thing they all yeah. have in common, which is why people say they work. Well, <laughs> okay, yeah, you're eliminating that one thing that's, you know, you may be going too hard on. And so it was. it's really interesting to get a critical eye on that too, to say, yeah. like, I, lo I love what you're saying. It's a have a relationship with food. Don't try to master to control it. Like it's it's yeah. a part, cultural part of who we are. Exactly, and I think that's why you know when I teach nutrition, it's not like we're not spending months just learning about nutrition and you know macronutrients and micronutrients and portions and that like all that stuff. It's literally just learning how to cook and focusing on building those 
life skills of cooking and planning a meal and going to the grocery store and building those skills because knowing how to make something yourself at home and being able to go to the grocery store and pick out fresh foods and know when something is ripe and, and, you know, have a budget where you can plan healthy meals is that is going to contribute to your health way more than any type of a diet plan or a fad diet. Because most of the reason why people rely on processed foods is because they don't know how to cook. They don't have basic cooking skills. So that's why, again, like I didn't feel so passionately about being a registered dietitian. And I have amazing friends that I went to school with who are registered dietitians and doing amazing work. But for me, it comes down to like teaching the cooking skills and getting people in their kitchen and just learning, you know, seeing a recipe as something that's approachable or seeing a grocery, like making a grocery list and being like, okay, I know I can make like three or four meals this week that I know how to make and I'm confident making. And just by that, whatever they are, it's homemade and you know, it doesn't need to be fancy, but by, by that account, it's going to be nutritious and healthy for you <laughs> because it's, it's homemade in your own kitchen. And you're so, looking at financial literacy with that too. Yeah, absolutely. Like I take my classes to the grocery store all the time to learn how to grocery shop, to learn how to make a list, to learn how to, you know, bargain <laughs> shop and save money because you know, it's, it's a life skill that they're all going to use. Like they're not all going to culinary school and they're not all, you know, going to go be the next top chef, but they're all going to need to, you know, make a grocery list and go to the store and figure out what's going to work in their budget and feed themselves. So it's, there's every day I can justify everything that I do because you know, how many times are students like, when am I ever going to need to use this in real life? And it's like, well, (laughs) every day, what they don't tell you as an adult is every day you're asking what's for dinner for the rest of your life. Right. (laughs) And then you have kids. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, do you get into like the quality of food either with your students as well, or is that just a little bit up there? You're just kind of getting them used to the process because I, you know, my, my, my dad was a farmer. Uh, and when he immigrated here, food quality was essential. He had his own garden. My parents did their own canning. Like they would only buy meat from certain butchers cause they had the, the best choice. So like we always knew which farms to go to for every food, like yeah, yeah. item we need. Do you, do you get into that with your students at all? Or is it just basically like, no, no, like you got to learn how to just go to the grocery store and just buy some food. No, no, we do a lot on kind of where your food comes from as well, because again, that's kind of a lost, um, piece of information that we're getting further and further away from the source of our food. Just, you know, in modern society, people are living in smaller spaces, not necessarily having the time to garden. Also, we have a super short window to garden here in the north. But yeah, it's it's also getting to know your farmers because that's a huge part of our food system as well. And whether it's, you know, from a food security standpoint or an agriculture standpoint or even, you know, like food sovereignty as, you know, buying local or buying, you know, Canadian products and learning about what organic means or what fair trade means, bringing it to the agricultural level too is so important to learn because that is, again, another part of food literacy that you can make better decisions as a consumer of food, as someone that's going to shop and going to eat and understand kind of why, or understand like why that may be a value 
to buy something at a farmer's market versus buying something for $10 less at, you know, the supermarket, supermarket chain store. And, and also getting to meet farmers. Like I have some really good, a really good friend that's a, owns her own farm, um, you know, south, down in Southern Alberta, a little like organic vegetable and, and turkey and chickens and pigs. So she will come up and, and speak in my class and, and tell them what it's like to be a farmer or we'll, you know, learn, do like virtual farm tours or learn as much as we can about how something is grown and then get to cook with it. So we're going from the farm to the plate to learn that and to then appreciate it a bit more. So I think it's, you know, sometimes it's that prevention of like food waste and just kind of disregard or disrespect for the foods that we have access to. Um, I really, really try to emphasize with my students, like how important it is to respect our food because we have such a privilege to be able to have access to like extra food to cook in class when some people are coming to school with no lunch in their backpack and nothing in their cupboards at home. So just emphasizing that. And then also like how much energy had to go into this food to get into your hands in class and then to get into your plate as part of your recipe that day. How, how far did that have to travel or how many people were involved in that process? And then that just builds in without me having to say, don't throw that out or don't be wasteful or don't say, ew, that's gross. Instead of having to react and say that, it then just builds that value into that finished product of, wow, I had no idea. I'm really going to appreciate this so much more. And then understand like when I'm, you know, maybe it doesn't click in right away because they're not buying groceries, most of them. But maybe then when they are, you know, an adult and making those decisions, they can remember like, oh, okay, now I know what it means when something is fair trade or organic or why the farmer is charging that much when I can just go buy it for $2 and it's coming from Mexico and it's just over at, you know, superstore. Right. So it's again, like building that knowledge and awareness as well, because that's not something that a lot of our students are growing up with anymore. Cause we're not living on farms where we're growing all our own food and preserving it. And, and, you know, that's our, what we need to live off of. Right. So it's, it's, we have to exist in a modern society and a modern food system, but we can exist a little bit more intentionally, but we can't, if we don't know, we don't know what we don't know. So that's why it's my job to then teach all, all the students that, which I don't take lightly. Like, I think it's, it's such a privilege to be able to do because it, it's so significant, right? Completely, completely. Wow. I you just, just left I'm, I'm you go speechless and that doesn't happen often. <laughs> no, that, that rarely happens. So, wow. Thank you. That's, that's a lot for me to process. So thank you. Like, that's amazing. I, I'm so thrilled well, for your students. The, it shows the value of the, of, of having a foods program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I honestly, I think like every student should have to take some sort of a yeah, at least once in high school or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, love it. I think everyone, like everyone, deserves to learn how to cook and to have that knowledge and and feel confident and competent in in cooking or in just what they know about food and what they know about nutrition. Like it shouldn't be something that 
is so like <laughs> hidden away <laughs> or have such like, you know, not so accessible. So, and I, I teach a lot of adults as well. Like I do a lot of adult cooking classes and workshops and, you know, private lessons when, when time permits, but yeah, like a lot of adults have no knowledge whatsoever either because it's not something that's, you know, necessarily in our curriculum always. And, and not everyone, you know, who is teaching things about nutrition or, you know, about food has a background in it that, that can really, you know, bring that uh, knowledge and passion to it as well. So, Well, you bring it there stunningly. And I am so thrilled that you are in that classroom with those students, teaching them all these amazing things. So thank you for your great work, Brooke. Like that's, that's wonderful. Like amazing. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah, it's my absolute like joy of my life to be able to, to do this. I think it's time for our uh, pulse and point takeaways here because uh, wow, Brooke, you, uh, I, I filled a pad talking to you today. Um, so I think really Brooke told us today, if something doesn't seem right, find something that does, you know, your university experience, it, it wasn't fitting and you had the courage to get out there and change it. Food's more than just cooking and eating. And we got to cultivate a good relationship with food because it's not just fuel and we aren't cars, but it is a common language. Mm -hmm. And one thing I really liked that, that we really got from you today was that serving others builds relationships and we have to be, we have to be really mindful that whether you are giving your child their breakfast or teaching a foods class, there's a connection happening there and there's a relationship being built because of what happened to get that food to the plate, the passing of the plate and the eating of the food. But food isn't something to conquer and control. Uh, and finally, my final pulse and point takeaway from Brooke tonight is that uh, everyone eats and that connects it. So let it connect us. Oh, yay. That's perfect. That's so beautiful. That's oh. why that's why he's the demigod. That's why. <laughs> I think you mean demigorgon. <laughs> summarize it because I don't know if I could. I might have just talked for another hour. <laughs> I also have a pad and a pen, so. Mm. <laughs> oh well, you know what, Brooke? Again, thank you so much for joining us this thank week you. and for sharing that. We all got something a lot great from that i mean you left me speechless and don't evito don't you just want everyone to listen to that like i i, I knew it was going to be good but like i just want everyone to hear this like episode. this we can finish our podcast now we're done <laughs> like this summarizes everything <laughs> final, episode. To say. final episode <laughs> the uh, final word so thank thank you again brooke and uh chris thank you again for for leading us this week And thank you all for joining us this week on the Unapologist podcast. Join us next week when we'll talk with great people, learn new ideas, and tell the story of teaching as it happens. This is Vito and Chris signing off. The Unapologist podcast.